buffer zones and pushes us to apply it and share your gospel this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Colossians chapter 1. And as we turn the corner from Thanksgiving and we head into a season of Advent where we, uh, one, celebrate the fact that Christ has come. And we rejoice in that. And uh, at the same time, we're anticipating the fact that that He's going to come again. As we're in this season of Advent, I want to challenge us as a church to focus in on the hope of the gospel. I want us to, f- to, to focus on the hope that we have in the gospel. Because listen, in today's culture, in the midst of the, the toys and, and the presents and, and the family gatherings, it is so easy for us to, to get distracted and lose focus and to miss the reason why we even celebrate in the first place. It's so easy to just get caught up in what w- the Western world has made Christmas. And the same, I think, is true inside the church that, that and this is year-round, this isn't just during Christmas time, but we start focusing in on, on, on particular processes and we start playing politics and we get passionate about a particular program and we even have our own favorite pastors. And, and if we're not careful, we very easily can forget to keep the main thing the main thing. But it's not about a process. It's not about politics. It's not about a program. It's not even about a pastor. It's about a person. It's, it's always been about a person. All of life has always been all about Jesus. But listen, it is so easy for every single one of us to lose focus and get distracted. But thankfully, we're not alone in this. So this isn't some new issue that that our generations are struggling with for the first time. No, this is a universal issue that even the the church at Colossae struggled with 2,000 years ago. You see, Paul is writing this letter to the church at uh, Colossae because they had gotten distracted. They had gotten distracted. There were some false teachers who had infiltrated inside the church and, and they were uh, telling, they had, they had these false teachings that were minimizing the worth of Christ. They were minimizing the worth of Christ. And the Colossians were being tempted to think that they could somehow find greater fulfillment if they'd worship not only Christ. Yeah, worship Christ, but don't worship just Christ. Worship Christ and also the angels and these other deities. And in so doing, you will find greater fulfillment. That's the false teaching that was coming into the church at Colossae. And I want us to look at today, how does Paul respond? What does Paul say to the Colossians who are being tempted to be distracted? So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read from God's Word from Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 down to verse 23. And after we do so, we're going to pray and you'll sit back down and we will together Unpack this scripture. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you now dependent upon you in this moment to, uh, to fill this place, to fill this space. God, I pray that your word would, would transcend my words. God, I pray that your truth would um, be the only truth that is proclaimed, God, that, that any lie would, never, would not be uttered from my mouth in this moment. God, I pray for, uh, for yourself and for your son to be glorified through the preaching of your word. God, I pray that your spirit would fill us um, so that we might have ears to hear, so that we might not be distracted. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we've already said that, that Paul is writing this letter to address false teachings uh, that are happening within the church. And I think it's important to note that really the passage that we've just read is really Paul's first response. The passage we've just re- read is Paul's First response to this situation. Look at your Bibles. In the first 14 verses, in the very beginning, verse, the first two verses, you got the greeting. He says, hey, this is Paul, this is Timothy, writing to the saints at the church at Colossae. And then he goes into his thanksgiving. He says, we always give thanks to God when we think about you because your faith has been encouraging. And, and, and so we, we pray. In verse 9, he, he switches to a prayer for the church at Colossae. From the day that we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would you know, walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And uh, he gives thanks to the Father in his prayer for them, who has qualified the Colossians to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And it is in him that we have the redemption, uh, the forgiveness of sins. So really, in the first 14 verses, Paul has only uh, really addressed an initial greeting and a thanksgiving and and prayer. And there's a lot there, and it's powerful, and, and we could have several messages there. But we're not there today. Today we're in 15 through 23. But I think it's important for us to to realize, just to make a mental note, that the passage that we're discussing today is really Paul's first response to this false teaching. And I think that's important. So dads, think with me here. When you come home from work, right, you come home from work and your wife just has it in her eyes, you know something's happened, you don't know what it is, but you're trying to figure it out. And, And she just looks at you and says, Guess what your boy did today? At this point, he's not our boy. He's your boy because he acts like you, right? So, like, guess what your boy did today at school or on the playground? And you know, you're like, I don't know. You don't want to make a guess. It's not safe, but you're trying to figure it out. And, and she ends up telling you what your son does. She's saying, I want you to go talk to your boy. Go into his room, right? In that moment, you're not going into, into your son's room. 
then you're not going to be like, hey, so the first thing that comes to my mind right now is uh, that I had a, a great pizza today. I think you would have really liked it, little Johnny. No, no. Dad, you're, the first thing you say to your son when you walk in is not going to be what you had for lunch today. No, because your initial response matters. The first thing you say to correct him is going to bear really the most weight. How you respond initially will ultimately determine the direction for the rest of the conversation. And so if that's true in life, consider then just how important it is that the first words, the very first words out of Paul's mouth have to do with the supremacy of Christ. The first thing he says is that he is above all, in all, through all, for all. That's a big deal. And that's what this whole passage is about. These nine verses we're looking at today is about the supremacy of Christ over creation, over the church, and even on the cross. And that determines the direction for the rest of this letter. And so first I want to look at the supremacy of Christ over creation. In verses 15 and 16, we see that that Jesus is the creator. Your note there on your bulletin. Jesus is the creator. Verse 15 says that he, he, referring to Jesus, is the image. That word is also like the the exact imprint that like a ring would leave from a king. He is the exact imprint, the image of the invisible God. In other words, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is fully God and he makes the invisible God visible. And and Paul is ultimately saying, if you want to know who God is, then just look to Jesus. That's what he's telling them here. He is the image of the invisible God, and he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, now in your Bibles, it says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If you have have NIV, it, it says over all creation. See, this is important. This verse does not mean that Jesus was created. If it did, we would be in trouble. Christianity would not have a leg to stand on if Jesus was a created being. All right? So that's not what Paul is saying here. This verse is speaking to, to Jesus' uh, position of authority and to his power. Maybe Psalm 89, verse 27, will help you wrap your mind a- around this concept. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 27, God says of David, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted king of all the earth. So again, this verse doesn't mean that Christ was created. No, this verse means that Christ, as creator, rules and reigns over all of creation. If that's a little shaky for you, verse 16, I think, clears that up a little bit. Because Paul continues on in verse 16, and he says, In him, in Jesus, all things were created. To go to the end of the verse. All things were created through him and For him. Three prepositions. They're all three very important. Again, the ESV says for by him. But there's a little note. And if you look at that note and you read the note at the bottom, it says by means of or in Christ. In Christ, all things were created. So he's the initiator of all things. But not only is he the initiator of all things, he is the mediator of all things, Paul says. Because it is through him that all things are in creation exist, right? That's what it says at the end of the verse. And then the last preposition is for him. All things are for him or, or, or are headed unto him would be probably a better way to translate it. So he is in all things, through all things, and all things are going unto him. So not only is he the initiator and the mediator, but he's the consummator. He brings all things to their fulfillment, to their final purpose. 
Paul wants the Colossians to see that from creation to consummation, from beginning to end, Jesus Christ is in control. That's the point here. And that includes the thrones or the dominions or the rulers or the authorities that Jesus created. That these false teachings and teachers are trying to get the Colossians to worship. Paul says, don't don't look there. Look to Christ. He's the creator of all things. Why would you worship a created being? He's created these deities, these angels that you think are, are, are worth worshiping. Don't do that. But not only is he the creator, verse 17 says that he's also the sustainer. And that's the next point on your, on your bulletin. <laughs> verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things cohere. They, they stick together. He is the one who holds the entire universe together. Think about that for a moment. That without Christ, creation would not, indeed it could not, exist. Without Christ, we would cease to exist. That's massive. That's massive, which means, listen, your calendar does not keep your life together. You are not in control of your life no matter how hard you try. It is but by the mere grace of God and the eternal existence of God that we exist and that we continue to exist. That's what Paul says. Do you see the supremacy of Christ over creation? That Jesus Christ sovereignly rules and reigns as the supreme creator and sustainer over all the universe. Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So first we see the supremacy of Christ over creation. Second, we see the supremacy of Christ over the church. Verses 18 through 21, Paul says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So first, first here we see that Jesus is the founder of the church. He's the founder of the church. He is the first one to die and to rise up from the dead. He's the founder of the church. And it is by his death and by his resurrection that Christ has conquered sin and silenced hell. And so not only is he the founder of the church, but he's also the redeemer of the church. For verses 19 and 20 say, For it was in Christ that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In verse 20, to reconcile all things back to himself. See, God has waged war against the powers of hell by sending his son to die on a cross. It took, better yet, it required the shed blood of Jesus Christ spilled on the cross and not just any cross. The text says his cross. It took the shed blood of Jesus Christ spilled on his cross to make peace for your sins and for my sins that have been committed against a holy and righteous God. He is the founder of the church and he is the redeemer of the church. Jesus Christ reigns supreme as the supreme His supremacy is over creation, and his supremacy is over the church. Third, see the supremacy of Christ on the cross, verses 21 through 23. And there's a decisive, hard shift here in the text. In these first six verses, 
these first six verses, it has been uh, Christ, Christ, Christ. All about Christ. And it still is all about Christ. But then you get to verse 23, and, 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 and he says, and you emphatically, and it's a plural you, you all, you, you Colossians, you were at one time alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So verse, verse 21 tells us about their former life. Formerly, the Colossians were alienated from God, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. So alienated from God, what does that mean? It means that they were completely separated from God because of their sin. Alienated, cut off from God. But not only were they alienated from God, not only were they separated from God, but they were hostile in mind. The text says that there was like an active, uh, active in the mind going against God. Think about that. They were literally uh, active enemies going against whatever the plan of God was, whatever the purpose of God was, whatever the intent of God was, actively they would go against it. That's who the Colossians were formerly. So they were alienated from God, they were active enemies, and they're acting out, right? They're doing, and that's, that's the natural flow. Like whatever the mind does, right, we, we follow do. We, we, we do what we believe. We say that all the time. And so if their minds were set on, on going against God, then their actions would follow suit with that. They were acting out in a way that did not honor God. This is who the Colossians were formerly. But let's not forget that this is true for every single one of us. This is true for every single one of us who has experienced God's forgiveness. That Formerly, we were enemies of God. And I think it's easy as the years go by, as we walk with Christ, to forget the fact that we were enemies. We just, ah, I wasn't living right. No, no, no. You were hell-bent. You were wicked. You were a black-hearted sinner. You were set on going against God. You were an enemy of the Most High. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget the past that we've been redeemed from. But at the same time, I would say, let us not fool ourselves into thinking that we did anything to change our former ways. Paul says that that these Colossians were dead set on going against. They were active in their rebellion. And so were we. Elsewhere in Ephesians, he says that they, he calls them children of wrath, sons of disobedience. I don't remember myself as being a son of disobedience, but it was, it's who I was. It's who you were. Let's not forget that. But then he continues. That's their past. That's their former life. But then he continues and he speaks into their current status. See, currently the Colossians have been reconciled. They have been reconciled. Verse 22 is the key verse, and these three ver- the key verb in these three verses is to reconcile. And, and that's, that's the Colossians' current status, that they have been reconciled. And then that begs the question, how have, you, how have they been reconciled? And Paul says that it is by the death of Christ on the cross. But listen, let's not miss the fact that Paul says that they were reconciled by his death in order to present underline that there's a purpose here that they were reconciled by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before god you see god had a plan god had a purpose in sending his son to die on a cross and at no point while christ was on the cross did he ever lose control 
Oh, I, I'm just begging and praying that we would see the supremacy of Christ even on the cross. That Jesus bore the full weight of our sins upon himself, on his cross, so that in order that we might be presented before God as holy and blameless and above reproach. Holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart. Set apart from the world for God. But not only to be holy, but to be blameless. Blameless means without spot, without blemish, without stain from sin in this world. That that Christ died for a purpose so that you might be able to be presented before God as, as blameless and above reproach. That's not a term we use a whole lot. It's not a term we use a whole lot. It has this idea that Paul's saying Jesus died on the cross so that you would be above reproach, be able to be presented before God as above reproach. That means free from even the accusation of sin. Not just spotless from sin, but free from the accusation of sin. Man, think about that for a moment. Consider what it means to be free from the accusations of the enemy. To be free from the accusations of the enemy. That no matter what Satan says about you, you are declared righteous before God because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on your behalf. That's good news. And so Paul has addressed their past and he's addressed their present in light of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, but he does not move forward without first reminding them of their personal responsibility. The Colossians have a personal responsibility in this. Verse 23. He says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. See, Paul tells the Colossians that that they must continue in their faith. They must continue in their faith. But like my favorite teachers, he then tells them how. He gives them the answers to the test. I love that. He says they must be stable in their faith. What does stable mean? It's like the foundation of a building, like, like the foundation of this sanctuary. It is firmly set in the ground, right? It's not going anywhere. In the same way, we need to be firmly set on the gospel. That's what it means to be stable in our faith, that the gospel is where we stand and we don't move anywhere else. And then he says that also that they must be steadfast, steadfast in their faith. This word steadfast has this idea of, of staying seated at the table. I love this word. So brother, sister, you've got filet mignon before you. And the table behind you has Duval County Public School, Mystery Meat, Chartwell's, lunch. And you're back here looking, going, what they got? I wonder what that mystery meat tastes like. No, no, no. Stay seated. You got filet mignon. That's what, that's what he's saying. Paul is saying, Christ is all you got, but praise the Lord, he's all you need. Don't get up from the table. Stay seated. Be steadfast in your faith. And at the same time, Paul says that they must also not shift from the hope of the gospel. It means that they need to be firmly attached, like glue, like Velcro, like you're, you're stuck. Be firmly attached to the hope that you have in the gospel. So Paul has said to the Colossians, first, his first words in light of the false teaching, the supremacy of Christ over creation, over the church, and even on the cross. That begs the question, why? 
Why is that the, the most important thing? Why would Paul's first response to the false teaching that was threatening the health of the church, that could ultimately end up destroying the church, why is his first rep- response the supremacy of Christ? Why would the supremacy of Christ come before anything else that Paul has to say? I think it's because Paul wanted the Colossians to see that the supremacy of Christ over all things was sufficient for all of their needs. The supremacy of Christ over all things is sufficient in all of their lives. He wanted them to see the sufficiency of Christ. Remember, listen, the Colossians had this temptation to find fulfillment outside of Christ. And Paul knows, Paul knows that this distraction could lead to their destruction. Hey, here's a shift in the sermon here. I'm coming at you right now. This is not the Colossians. I'm coming at you. You need to hear me when I say this. When you become distracted, you become dissatisfied. And it's as if Christ is no longer enough and you start looking elsewhere, trying to find fulfillment somewhere else. But if you're not careful, you very well may end up disqualifying yourself from the grace that could be yours. I need you to hear that right above this passage. One of the things that Paul gives thanks for to the Colossians, to the Father he's praying for, is that the Father has qualified them in the faith. And then you go to chapter 2, verse 18, and he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. When you become distracted, it is easy to become dissatisfied. And when you become dissatisfied, you may end up disqualifying yourself, chasing the things that will never fulfill you and very well might end up destroying you. This is serious. This is serious. Here's the big idea for the day. Until you recognize his supremacy, you'll never know his sufficiency. Until you recognize the supremacy of Christ, you'll never know the sufficiency of Christ. And that's the point. That's the point. Paul highlights the supremacy of Christ to point out the sufficiency of Christ. He says, look, Colossians, you don't need to look anywhere else to find fulfillment. All you need is in Christ. Church, we don't need to look anywhere else to find fulfillment outside of Christ. All we have and all we need is found in Him. Listen to me, fullness. Fullness can only be found in Christ. I've been saying this from my very first sermon here. The first thing I ever said, my main point in that first sermon, was that the deepest desires of your heart finds its satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. The deepest desires of your heart finds its satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. But until you recognize his supremacy, you'll never know his sufficiency. So let me ask you, where are you looking to find fulfillment? Right now, where are you looking to find fulfillment? Is it in your spouse? Are you living through your kids? You're trying to find fulfillment in your job. You want to hear somebody say, well done. Your friendships. The fake identity you've created on social media. 
Are you trying to find fulfillment in anything other than Christ? Because if you are, I need you to hear me, trying to find fulfillment anywhere outside of Christ will only fail you. It will never fulfill you. It will only fail you. And so if that is you, brother or sister, brother or sister in Christ, if that is you, I'm asking you to to throw away, throw aside the false God that you're looking to and trust only in Christ. Trust only in Christ. If you're here today and you've never fully trusted in Christ to fulfill you, I'm praying that today, I'm praying that today you would give him a chance. Give him a chance to do so. Because here's the deal. You don't know satisfaction outside of Christ. I don't care what you say. I love you, but you don't know satisfaction outside of Christ. And until you've been forgiven of all your sins, you don't know true freedom. And until you've been made holy and declared blameless before God because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on your behalf, you don't know what it means to be fulfilled. But if you want to know, and I pray you do, there's a connect card in the back of the pew right in front of you. Grab it. Fill it out. Give me just a basic amount of information. There's a little box in there. Check. I want to be saved. It doesn't mean you're going to be saved. It means we're going to have a conversation this week. and We're going to, we're going to sit down and I'll buy you lunch and we'll talk about it. We'll figure out what it means to be fulfilled in Christ. If you want to know, fill that card out. You can leave it in the pew. You can come find me after the service in the uh, Welcome Center. But, but fill that card out. Let's talk. Church, the supremacy of Christ compels us to trust and the sufficiency of Christ to satisfy us. And so this Christmas, can we just refocus? Can we make sure that that we're keeping the main thing, the main thing? Let's make sure we're looking only to Christ to satisfy our deepest desires. Because until we recognize his supremacy, we'll never know his sufficiency. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for for the fact that you are enough. That you are the initiator, the mediator, the consummator, that you are in all things, you are through all things, you are. All things are going unto you. Lord, this is a truth worth celebrating. That you are supreme and you are sufficient. And I pray, God, that we would look to no one else and no thing else but to you, Jesus. And in so doing, that we would find deep satisfaction.